Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's a Motley Fool Money radio show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me this week, senior analyst Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, hey Chris. Chris. It is our year in review special in two weeks. We're doing our investing preview for 2022, but this week we're going to put a bow on 2021. Andy Cross, let me start with you. What is your business or investing headline for the year? Chris, the actual headline would be Fly Me to the Moon, Memes and New Investors. (laughs) February and March saw the peak of the mean stocks like GameStop and AMC, where thousands and millions of individual investors with lots of COVID cash to spend jumped into these stocks, bid them up, gatherings over on the Wall Street Bet subreddit, where they got together and talked about these stocks, caused massive short squeezes that sent the stocks up you know, three, five times in value or more in a very, very short period. The hedge funds that were short these stocks got burned very quickly, had to cover their losses that continued to bid the stocks up. Uh, more, it really was more betting and speculating. But the reason it's fly me to the moon, Chris, is I was driving around the DC Beltway around then, and I saw on the sound barriers a graffiti piece, very <laughs> large, that said "Fly Me to the Moon GME," which is GameStop's ticker. <laughs> nice. So there was so much interest in the meme stocks and the uh, individual investors, really individual investors, driving the stocks. I love to see so many individual investors into the market, and that's been great over the last few years. But, but unfortunately, a lot have been thinking about this more about speculating. So there's lots of members out there that could use foolish investing wisdom, and I hope that we can do that both on our podcast or in our services and on our website at fool.com. So very excited for that. But that the 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 mean push in February and March was really extraordinary to see. Ron, does your headline uh, capture the interest of graffiti artists? <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it does, Chris. But for me, it's got to be inflation, inflation, inflation. Because I don't know if you heard, Chris, there's a little bit talk about inflation during the year. November data indicated that prices have increased 7% year over year. That's the highest increase in four decades. Fed officials for months had been insisting that inflation was transitory and closely tied to COVID-related factors that eventually, they said, would fade. However, in recent days, Chairman Powell and others have indicated that the word transitory is perhaps no longer appropriate and likely will be dropped from future communications. Supply chain bottlenecks, surging demand, primary drivers of inflation in this particular case, they've only eased marginally. But the labor market has firmed up, headline unemployment rate recently falling to 4.2%. This likely creates some cover for the Fed to act to combat inflation. At the Fed meeting on December 15th, the Fed said it would double the pace by which it winds down its bond-buying program. The new pacing would bring all asset purchases to a full stop by March of 2022. They also signaled that an interest rate hike was likely for next year. Projections currently indicate that three rate hikes will happen next year, another three in 2023, another two in 2024. Markets actually rallied on this news, perhaps counterintuitive, but I think investors would welcome a proactive Fed, gradual rate hikes, and an end to quantitative easing rather than runaway inflation. Be interesting to see if they actually stick to that plan, particularly in 2024, which is, by my math, 
28 years from now. <laughs> and, and COVID is always the wild card, so we'll have to see how that factors in. Jason Moser, what's your headline for the year? Yeah, we've talked ad nauseum, it feels like, about the semiconductor supply crunch. Uh, it's had a meaningful impact on every corner of the economy so far this year. And, and I mean, when you look at semis, in general, I mean, it, it is becoming less of a cyclical industry. I think, just given the trend toward tech and connectivity, things like Internet of Things, uh, so, so I don't think we're going to see quite the cyclical nature here in semis going forward that we've witnessed historically. But the general sentiment for most in the industry is that this shortage, this crunch, is likely going to continue through at least the first half of the new year, which is something I think we all obviously need to keep an eye on. I mean, the other thing to keep an eye on, I think there are a couple of pieces of legislation out there that are still going through the process. There's the Chips for America Act, and there's the FABS Act. The Chips for America, that's creating helpful incentives to produce semiconductors. FABS is facilitating American-built semiconductors. Uh, these are still hung up in DC gridlock. I know that's just really tough to believe, <laughs> uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, that while the Senate has passed this U.S. Innovation and Competition Act, which is is what uh, the Chips Act is part of. That uh, the House is still deliberating that, so so they're hopefully going to get this legislation through sooner rather than later. But you know, given what we know about Congress these days, I wouldn't hold my breath. Uh, but but it certainly is something we've talked a lot about this year, and I think we're going to be talking a lot about it here into the new year as well. Chief Executive Magazine gave their annual award to Merck CEO Ken Frazier. So Ron. Who gets your vote for CEO of the year? Chris, at the risk of sounding obvious or stating the obvious, I'm going to go with Satya Nadella of Microsoft, CEO since February of 2014, replacing Steve Ballmer. Only the third person to hold that office in the company's history. He's been with Microsoft since 1992. Shares of Microsoft up 790%, crushing the market since it was announced that he would take over as CEO. Shares up 46% so far this year. Nadella credited with transforming Microsoft into a cloud-based technology company. Microsoft now the number two cloud company with a 20% market share, behind Amazon with a 32% share, a very impressive 93% approval rating on Glassdoor. He's a talented capital allocator, returns $75 billion of capital to shareholders over the last two years through stock buybacks and dividends. Great operating metrics. Microsoft's return on invested capital is an impressive 44%. Stock's trading 35 times forward earnings, so it's not dirt cheap, but it's also, in my opinion, not too expensive for it to be a staple in anyone's portfolio. Andy, what about you? Chris, I'm going with a leader that I followed for, gosh, uh, close to 10 years here in the stock. During that time period, it's up more than 4,000%, and that's Arkady Dopkin from EPAM Systems, symbol is EPAM, the $36 billion digital and software consulting firm that provides technology and healthcare, consumer travel, advertising, retail, technology, consulting services to those industries across lots of different areas and lots of different uh, parts of the business of these markets and these businesses and their clients want to continue to grow. He founded the company back in 1993. He's been leading it ever since. He's the largest individual share owner, worth more than a billion dollars now. Stock is up just 70% this year. I mentioned the long-term, the 10-year track record of up more than 4,000%. It's up 70% this year. It just joined the S&P 500 this week. 
Uh, so it's one of the best performers. If you look at the S&P 500 company, he scores high reviews on Glassdoor. He has a great culture across 36,000 employees for EPAM. He makes small and smart tuck-in acquisitions that expand the reach of their client base, grow it internationally. He does a wonderful job of managing the um, the cost structure and the earnings picture. They've grown their revenues and their earnings about 20% or plus each quarter going back many, many years minus the COVID period. So when I look at uh, EPAM systems, look at the opportunity, I own it myself. I think it's a wonderful chance for people to continue to, to, to benefit from ARC's leadership. And I think he is underrated and doesn't get nearly as much attention as he should. Jason, who gets your vote for CEO of the year? Yeah, the more I thought about this, the more clear it became, Chris. I'm going with Marvin Ellison of Lowe's. Uh, forget that shares are up 57% this year and outpacing Home Depot in the market. You look over the last three years, these shares are up 170%, still outpacing Home Depot and obviously outpacing the market. And that's about the time he came on board with the company. Uh, I really am just impressed with what he's doing. And I think this year, We've seen a lot of signs that his his strategies are really starting to, to play out here. I'll take you back to May 5th, 2018, Chris. The episode of Motley Fool Money, right after Mr. Ellison took over, right? And you and I, we were talking about this. And I said on that episode that I'm more of a Home Depot guy, Chris, but I think that Lowe's right now may represent the better opportunity for investors over the coming three to five years. Fast forward to today, that's panned out pretty nicely. I'm really, really uh, happy to see all of the things that he's done with the company. Some of the things he's doing that are really starting to work out well for the business, uh, focusing on the pro side of the business, bringing uh, a rental dynamic into the business. We know that Home Depot has succeeded uh, immensely with that strategy over the years. I like his focus on building out their private label brand portfolio, uh, the supply chain improvements with this new market delivery model, where Big and bulky products essentially just flow directly from the supply chain to the customers' homes and never even have to really go through the store. He's just he's made some changes here and there over these last three years that have just got this business back on track. And like I said, we always give Home Depot more attention, it seems, because of its size, because of its margin picture. But you know what? Mr. Ellison has gotten Lowe's back on track, and it is a formidable competitor, and it's going to give Home Depot a run for its money. The dumbest investment of 2021? Those awards are next. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. It's our year in review special. And let's face it, guys, not every investment works out. So, whether it's an investment in your own portfolio or the way a public company decides to allocate their own capital in 2021, Ron, what gets your vote for the dumbest investment of this year? Well, Chris, I think I'm going to need to circle back to my humble pie choice from our Thanksgiving episode, because not only is Verizon one of the worst performing stocks in my personal portfolio for 21, it's also the worst performing stock in our total income services 2021 instant income portfolio. It's down about 8% in that portfolio versus the market that's up more than 20%. Verizon is the third worst performing stock in the Dow Jones index this year. My main motivation for buying it personally was to play the 5G theme. For the instant income portfolio, I was attracted to its steady earnings power, its 4.9% dividend yield, which was really nice. So far, though, playing 5G through a carrier like Verizon has not been the right call. 5G rollout has been delayed, sales growth is sluggish, they're spending aggressively, competition is fierce. 
as I said, does have a nice dividend yield. So that helps mitigate things a bit. Only trading nine times forward earnings. So not great for 2021, but it may be a bargain at these prices. I'm hoping it won't be the dumbest long term investment I have. I actually don't think it will be. Jason Moser, what about you? Well, I like the fact that we have the the, the field here to, to not necessarily have to just call out our, our own boneheaded ideas for the year. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just ignore my boneheaded ideas and focus on I think what is someone else's boneheaded idea. I really am actually a little bit uh, confounded by the Square name change. Uh, you know, they they recently changed their name to Block. Uh, I mean, it is it is very obvious why. I mean, I'm, Jack Dorsey's clearly a big blockchain a uh, Bitcoin guy. So I mean, it, it feels like that is the reason for the name change. Which I mean, it's it's reasonable for investors to at least be a little bit concerned. Is this the direction this business ultimately goes? Because right now it is a little bit of a weird assortment. You've got Title, you've got Square, then you've got all this blockchain Bitcoin stuff. So you you kind of wonder what the priority is going to be. I find myself constantly wanting to call it Cube, Chris. I'm already confused. <laughs> now here's the thing, though. I don't know if you saw this headline. I actually think there is a decent chance here. H and R Block is suing. Uh, Cube or well, Block. Never mind. Yeah, H and R Block is suing Block for this name change. Now they they contest that people are going to get confused, right, between Block and H and R Block. I actually, it sounds funny on its surface, but the more you dig into it, I think that's actually a pretty reasonable concern. H&R Block claims there have already been numerous indications that people are confusing the two. And remember, Block has the tax angle to their business now with that Credit Karma tax acquisition. So they are similar businesses. I would not be surprised at all to see a court come in there and tell Block that it needs to change its name again. Uh, and if that's the case, hey, listen, maybe Cube is still on the table. I like trapezoid myself, but we'll see. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the people at Block just wrote a big old check to make this problem <laughs> go away. Andy Cross, what's your vote for dumbest investment of 2021? Serve me up a slice of that humble pie because I'm going to a SPAC that I invested into, and we had recommended actually Curiosity Stream, symbol C U R I, the $32 million market cap. Maker of uh, documentaries um, has he has it has more than five thousand titles under its belt. It's located right here in Silver Spring, Maryland, where I live. It went public in well through a SPAC in two thousand and twenty. I'm down more than fifty percent of my investment that I made earlier this year. It was founded by John Hendricks, who founded Discovery Channel, and he owns more than forty percent of the business. So he's really invested into this business. I hope I'm more early than dumb on this, Chris. This is the approach I'm taking, more early than dumb. They continue to build out their library, expand their reach, make smart, small little acquisitions. They have a high subscriber grade. They are growing revenues. They're making licensing partnership deals. But the cost structure is really hitting them, and clearly a very competitive space. So. We'll see how Curiosity Stream does. I'm I'm somewhat optimistic they'll be able to get it right and see what Hendrix and his team does um, as they continue to build the partnerships and add more and more subscribers and monetize those subscribers. The Nasdaq is up about 20% year to date, but it is down from its highs. And along those lines, a lot of investors, myself included, are looking at stocks that are down from their highs and wondering, hey, is is this just a rough patch we're going through here, or is this a legitimate problem for this business? So, let's just call this, Jason, our good company, bad stock segment. Uh, in 2021, what do you think is a stock that's had a rough ride, but there's a good company underneath it? 
Sure, I'll go with one that I've recommended, one that I own personally. That's Twilio. Uh, the stock is down around 20% for the year, uh, with a market that has performed fairly well. Of course, um, I wouldn't read too much into that. Twilio. This is this is a modern day communications company. It, it provides the APIs, the the digital building blocks, to allow companies to communicate, whether it's through video or audio or text, to, to allow companies to communicate with their customers uh, and, and vice versa. You know, management believes the total the total addressable market for their services are going to reach 87 billion by 2023 very sticky service they have more than 250,000 active customer accounts today uh, and will continue to record revenue growth of 30% plus uh, annualized here over the next few years so i it, they the, the stock recently got hit on an earnings release i wouldn't read too much into that it seems like a little bit of a knee jerk reaction to to what is a very established uh, and growing business ron what about you Got to go with Roku, off 56% from its 52-week high, so lots of investors feeling some pain here. For context, though, the return from its September 2017 IPO is plus 1,400%. Strong company with a bright future, but the stock got a bit ahead of itself, as did many stocks that benefited from the, pandem from the pandemic. But clearly, we're moving to a cord-cutting world. Pay TV subscribers have declined by more than 23 million since peaking in early 2012. The Roku operating system has become the number one selling connected TV operating system in North America with a 38% share. Uh, as of third quarter, 56.4 million monthly active users. Stock may have been ahead of itself at $490, but at $214, it's looking very interesting to me. Andy, we got less than a minute. What do you got? Chris, Axon Enterprises actually is up 17% for the year, but 30% off its highs. The maker of advanced electronic devices like tasers and body cameras for law enforcement, corrections, legal, justice, military, and civilians. I really like their market share. It's very high. They're a leader in the space with connections with 17,000 out of the 18,000 law enforcement bodies in the U.S. What's exciting, Chris, is they're building out their product scope, pushing more and more into the cloud space, trying to connect devices with cloud, helping to build out that for all different kind of digital evidence management systems for so many different clients, including global and the military. So I like Axon, like what they're doing, and like its leadership team with Rick Smith, who owns a very large stake in the business. So hoping for better days ahead for Axon Enterprises. Who made the most questionable comment of 2021? We've got some nominees. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Motley Full Money, Chris Hill here with Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. It is our year in review special. We're going to play a round of fill in the blank. So, Andy, the stock or business that surprised me the most this year was blank. Boy, Chris, um, Bath and Body Works symbol BBWI had but split off from from well, L brand split off Victoria's Secret went its way Bath and Body Works went its way and the stock has just crushed it since then uh, it's up more than 80% for this year it's now an 18 billion dollar standalone company with 13 billion dollars in revenue those revenues are up 50% Chris from 2019 so 
if you kind of like look at a two-year picture, which is how they look at the business, revenues are really growing exceptionally high. This is a high-margin retail business still, Chris. Retail margins, they're pushing into the 20% range, mid-20% range. 60% of their customers now are buying across two different categories. That's up from 50% just a year ago. Um, they've done a really admirable job managing margins and costs and supply chains. A lot of their supply and their chain is tied to the U.S., so they don't have as much global and international exposure, certainly for some of the from the input costs, but not nearly as much other other companies. The stock now sells at 15 times 2022 estimates. Might be a little bit high for like a traditional retailer like this, but they are really getting it done. Admirable company. I was totally surprised at the performance of the business since that separation from Victoria's Secret. So very impressive from Bath and Body Works. And I'll just add for anyone looking to do some last minute holiday shopping, I just went to the Bath and Body Works website. Those $27 candles, they're on sale for only $17. (laughs) So take advantage of the sale while you can. Jason Moser, stock or business that surprised you the most? Uh, well, stock and business. Pleasantly surprised with Synaptics, a business that I've recommended a couple of times in my services. Uh, Synaptics is a provider of custom-designed semiconductor solutions, uh, and, and their products are in, in, in things from like PCs to mobile devices, smart speakers, AR, VR, head-mounted displays. I mean, it's a, it's a wide assortment of, of products that, that uh, Synaptics technology reaches. Uh, I really like management's focus on driving profitability and, and focusing less on driving that top Top-line growth at whatever cost. I think CEO Michael Hurlston, who's been with the company now a couple of years, that was a primary focus of his, and it is working out very well. Chris, the stock is up better than 170% this year alone, even after all of the selling that we've seen in December. And I think that's even more impressive given the ongoing semiconductor situation that I spoke about earlier. What surprised you this year, Ron? Boy, did Ford surprise me. Shares up 140% this year as the company made electric vehicle production its primary focus. Chief Operating Officer recently declared that the company plans to become the world's second largest electric vehicle manufacturer within two years as it ramps up its production capacity to 600,000 EVs per year. Huge demand for the company's all-electric F-150 Lightning pickup truck. We've got a new all-electric Mustang coming out that seems to be exciting people. In all, Ford is investing more than $11 billion in its electric vehicle production. Management recently said it would reinstate its dividend uh, that had been suspended earlier in the pandemic, and they lifted their full-year earnings guidance. So, Ford is focused and getting it done. Oh, man, it's so good, Ron. So good. Thank you. Thank you. When Motor Trend gave their Truck of the Year award to Rivian Automotive, uh, the high-flying stock that doesn't seem to be able to produce actual vehicles just yet, (laughs) do you think the people at Ford Motor took notice of that? Do you think there's a chance they took notice? I'm sure they took notice and they said, bring it on, build something, and then we'll talk. Let's stick with the surprise theme, and Andy, uh, fill in the blank on this. And This can be a CEO, this can be a company. You can take this in a couple of different ways. I can't believe that blank is still here. Chris, in some ways, I I can't believe or I'm surprised that Sheryl Sandberg is still the chief operating officer at Facebook, now Meta Platforms. She's clearly one of the most proven, respected tech leaders. She's been at Meta since 2008. She's on the board and certainly part of that inner circle and the partnership with Mark Zuckerberg. However, the last few years have been so stressful. 
uh, political business challenges that Meta is facing, the Cambridge Analytics scandal, which which Zuck blamed her and she took the blame for privacy issues, societal concerns over Facebook and Instagram, and certainly the regulatory arrows, not to mention just the shifting dynamic uh, in the in the advertising space. So Ms. Sandberg, she's, she's pulled back from some of the public duties uh, as Zuckerberg steps up more and more. And there's been some stories expressing some concerns about her role and her influence. So when I look at all that, even though she's still on the conference calls and she's very active in driving the business strategy, I just think she's got to have a lot of opportunities out there, people knocking on her door, talking to her, maybe some political interest in there at some point. She has a political history. I just wouldn't be surprised if at some point she does take a take a step away from from Meta and go on to a to another venture. But but as of right now, she's still there. Jason, who or what are you surprised is still around? Well, I feel like we've had a lot of fun talking about this one through the years. Um, but I tell you, I'm still astounded that Blue Apron is around in a publicly traded company. I mean, now granted, it is kind of just barely now at a $235 million market cap, but it's still there. Uh, $480 million in trailing 12 month revenue. Yes, that's down from almost $900 million in 2018. But honestly, Chris, I mean, I think you and I, I think all four of us probably would have thought that Blue Apron would be gone one way or another by now. And it's it's just it's kind of neat to see they're trying, they're diversifying, they're doing more stuff. They've got wine delivery incorporated, uh, meats that they're selling to consumers now. I mean, so they're trying to branch out and do more things. Maybe that gives them a shot. You know, we all would have bet against them. They're still here. Good for them. But to your point, the market cap is such that you have to believe some larger business is looking at them and thinking about a potential acquisition. Or is it one of those things where the business is such that they just say, no, you know what? If we're going to do this, we're going to do this on our own. We don't need to spend money for this. I feel like no matter who would consider acquiring this company, it would always be that Blue Apron would need that deal far more than the other way around. And at this point, it's such an it's such a replicable business model. I just I think maybe those those acquirer days are past. Ron Gross, I can't believe that Bobby Kotick of Activision is still around. Allegations of sexual harassment, discrimination at Activision. Earlier this year, led to more than 20 employees being fired, 20 more individuals facing other forms of disciplinary action. Uh, Kotick said he would reduce his pay to $62,000 to ensure every available resource was being used to improve the workplace. Okay, good, good nice of him to do that. Uh, employees and investor groups have called for his resignation. The National League and Policy Center had issued a formal call to Coca-Cola to remove Kotick from its board of directors. The heat is on. The heat has been on for a while. I am surprised that he's been with, able to withstand that heat. Yeah, if you're the board of directors, is anyone looking around that boardroom and saying, "Well, look, there's only one person who can run this business." <laughs> like, I, I, and I'm sure it it's a, it's a complicated business to run, but there, really, there's no one else. No, there are people in the wings. There are people outside the company that could come in. I mean, he is Activision in many ways, but at, at a certain point, you, you've just got to cut it and, and start fresh. All right, last fill in the blank, Jason Moser, blank made the most questionable comment in 2021. Oh, Jill Woodworth, CFO of Peloton. Maybe you were just 
Maybe you were just saying what you were told to say on the call, but I think uh, you're definitely in the running here. Let's just go back a couple of weeks here, a few weeks to, to their recent earnings call, where, where Ms. Woodworth said on the call, and I quote, I think just cutting to the chase, we don't see the need for any additional capital raise based on our current outlook. As we mentioned, we're taking significant steps to adjust our expenses across cost of goods sold and operating expenses with this revised revenue guidance. Then we have a lot of levers to pull end quote. And what did they do two weeks later, Chris? They announced a $1 billion offering. So, <laughs> somewhere within that two weeks, lines got crossed, dots weren't connected. But to me, uh, those are those are two things that are at very at odds with each other. Uh, so, so they may want to get on, on board with communication there, but uh, disappointing, disappointing to say the least. Ron Gross, uh, who gets your vote for most questionable comment of 2021? Chris, in January of 2021, in the middle innings of the meme stock craze, meme stock craze that Andy talked about earlier, Elon Musk tweeted one word, GameStonk, with two <laughs> exclamation points, causing GameStop shares to soar 50%. His tweet also included a link to Reddit's Wall Street Bets stock trading discussion group, where supporters referred to him lovingly as Papa Musk. End of story. <laughs> Andy Cross, what about you? Chris, now this is a little cheap because this comment was actually from 2014, but it was revealed this year by CNBC as it went through pages and pages of texts by the founder of blood testing company Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, because she's on trial now. She texted to her boyfriend, then President Sonny Balwani in 2014, my new life as of this night and forevermore, total confidence in myself as the best business person of the year, focus, details, excellence, don't give what anyone thinks, engage employees in meetings, buy stories, and making it, making it all about them. The fact that she called herself the best business person of the year in 2014, Theranos basically demonstrated to be a fraud. She's now on trial for 11 counts of wire fraud and conspiracy to defraud investors. Elizabeth Theranos, you get my award for most boneheaded things said at all by calling yourself the best business person of any year. Coming up after the break, we've got a basket of stocks on our radar with a theme that ties it all together. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross, wrapping up our year in review special. Ron, what was your investing discovery this year? It can be a stock you bought, a book you read, someone you started following on Twitter. Take it wherever you want. 
Chris, Aswath Damodaran is an esteemed professor of finance at NYU Stern School of Business. He was actually my equity valuation teacher when I was in graduate school back in 1994, a very long time ago. He puts all of his lessons and lectures online for free. It's all great stuff. Something else he does that I had moved away from but rediscovered in 2021 is his blog, Musings on Markets filled with wonderful lessons on markets, companies, valuations, and lots more. I highly recommend it to investors. Aswathdemotorin.blogspot.com. Jason Moser, what about you? Well, Chris, maybe I was a little hard on Block earlier here, so let's give Square some props. All right, let's—I'm I, a shareholder still. I still like the business. Uh, if you remember, my wife this year she opened up a, a little shop here uh, near where we live, sort of a, a little bit of a side gig, and she calls it our shop. But really, she's the one that does all the hard work. With that said, I mean, you know, we go in there and help her out. I do some hours behind the counter when I can to keep keep things moving along for. Her. And we use Square there for our retail operations. I have to say. As a user, man, Square is pretty darn good stuff. So it was just really nice to see from the customer's perspective, right? Not the user, like if we go buy something, but as the customer, as the retail shop owner, I tell you, it's a good user experience and made me feel really good about being an investor. Nice. Andy, what about you? Uh, Chris, JP Morgan Asset Management produced a study called The Agony and Ecstasy of Investing back in 2015. They updated it this year, and I love this study because it gives a really good perspective of long term investing. They found over 40 years of data looking at the Russell 3000, which is a wide index of investors of stocks. 44% of companies fell 70% or more from their highs, essentially a permanent loss, and they never came back. Two-thirds of the stocks underperformed the wider index. The median was returned. They trailed the market by 6% per year, and 42% of stocks actually lost money, Chris. But the bright side, and what has been driving the market for so many years, really for decades, is that around 10% of those stocks are what they call mega winners, and those are stocks that are up hundreds and hundreds of percent. And just a reminder of foolish investing principles of owning a wide, diverse group of stocks, holding lots of businesses, holding for the long period. And if you're holding those winners, those are the ones that are going to drive the bulk of your gains. But it does come with that pain at the individual stock level, Chris, that you do have, you will unlikely have, or will likely have some of those trailers and losers in there. So make sure you own lots of different businesses. All right, before we get to radar stocks, starting in January, we're turning Motley Fool Money into a daily show. We're still going to be doing this episode on Fridays for radio stations across America and for podcast listeners around the world. And we're going to be adding more episodes on weekdays with business news analysis, deep dives, and more. If you've ever listened to podcasts like Market Foolery, Industry Focus, Motley Fool Answers, Think of that as a preview of what's coming in the Motley Fool Money feed in January. We have a lot more in store, and we want you to weigh in on the topics that you enjoy hearing about the most. So we have a four-question survey that we are going to put in the description of this episode. Just click that link. It shouldn't take more than a minute to fill out. And thank you for doing that. You've heard me say before, The Motley Fool is a growing company. We have more than 600 employees worldwide, and as we grow, People get tapped to do other things. And one of those people is longtime producer Matt Greer. Now, if you're a member of the Motley Fool Services, you know we've been producing a lot more video content, including daily live streams with our investing teams. And Mac is one of the people charged with leading that effort. So at the end of this month, he will be stepping away from producing our weekly radio show. 
This is something he has done since he started at The Motley Fool in 1998. The Motley Fool radio show, the original one hosted by Tom and David Gardner, started on commercial radio that year. It quickly became one of the most listened to shows in the country. Three years later, it made history by becoming the first syndicated show to jump from commercial radio to public radio. And within six months, The Motley Fool radio show became the fastest growing show in the history of NPR. Think about that, with shows like All Things Considered, Morning Edition, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, it grew faster than all of them. He was instrumental in creating and launching Motley Fool Money. We love Mac. We know he's going to do great things in other parts of our company. And we're going to salute him the only way we know how, with a Mac Greer-themed stocks on our radar. Ron Gross, you're up first. Love you, Mac. I've got to go with Crocs, C-R-O-X. Not specifically known for his fashion sense. This is a favorite of Mac's, both as a comfortable, durable staple of his wardrobe, but also as a great investment. Crocs is up 1,800% over the last five years, mostly because Mac talks about them every chance he gets. <laughs> Let's go to our man behind the glass, Dan Boy. Dan, thoughts, questions? Yeah, Ron, what what style of Crocs do you think Mac is wearing when he goes out uh, for date night with his wife? Always the traditional clogs, which goes with everything, Dan. <laughs> Jason Moser, what about you? Yeah, some will say queso is a Texan birthright. I feel like Mac would agree with that, being from Houston himself. Uh, forget the health scare for Chipotle. I think the real controversy was their queso 1.0. I think we can all agree that no, no stabilizers was no bueno, and we had a lot of fun on and off air with that story. They've gone back to the well with queso blanca. We'll see if that works, but it's still been a great stock to hang on to, and one that makes me think of Mac every time I see the ticker or get a burrito bowl. Mac, thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for everything you've done for me. We love you. Dan, question about Chipotle? Yeah, Jason, do you think Mac is more of a bowl, a burrito, a taco guy? What's his order at Chipotle? You know, I feel like as I get older, I'm a little bit more health conscious. Not much, but I try to eliminate some of that extra sodium and carbs and get away from the burrito and go more towards the bowl. So maybe Mac's a bowl guy. I don't know. I'll have to ask. Andy Cross, what about you? There may be no more company associated with Mr. Mac Greer than Costco, the membership warehouse business Mac's talked about and shopped at for many, many years. When he joined, when Mac joined in 1998, Costco was selling about $30 billion worth of goods. Now it sells $200 billion worth of revenue, at least. The stock is up 1,790% since Mac joined the Motley Fool, turning 10,000 into 188,000. Mac, your wardrobe, as Ron called, <laughs> Thanks to Costco, you are still looking good. And if you want to buy tubs of Nutella, Kirkland dress shirts, and caskets, Costco's a place, and Mac would agree. Dan? Yeah, Andy, if Costco stopped selling clothes, where would Mac shop? <laughs> well, gosh, I'd like to say Mac's up to the Lululemon, which he has a little bit, but I think Costco, I think Mac would be hurting a little bit if Costco stopped selling those clothes. All right, guys, we're out of time. Thanks so much for being here. That's going to do it for this week's show. Our producer is Matt Greer. It's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. We'll see you next week. Okay.